guy that runs Wagner, you know, they call him Prigs. Progs is like for his kind of nickname. Prozigan, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm probably butchering their names, but he basically runs Wagner, which is a private military uh, contractor. And so they're deployed in Syria and throughout Africa for Russia and you know, they're, they were fighting terrorists and stuff in Syria because they were, you know, working with Assad to protect his regime. And what's interesting is that the guy that runs Wagner, he used to be Putin's chef. And so there's a picture of George Bush Jr. and his wife when they were, when he was president, I guess probably close to 20 years ago. And it's George Bush, Putin, Putin's wife, and, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Bush his uh, George Bush's wife, and then, you know, the Wagner guy, he's the chef. So now that you've basically had Wagner be, they got to 180 miles outside of Moscow. And there was, there was maybe a couple hundred Russians. They didn't have any kind of uh, heavy equipment, heavy weapons. And the Wagner guys had, you know, they had the Panzer uh, air defense systems. They had all their heavy weaponry. They had their tanks, they had their APCs. They had man pads that, you know, any, because they ended up shooting down. It was like seven helicopters and one electronic warfare plane, you know, on the road to Moscow. And I think, was it Rostov? Rostov? I think that's how you say it. That was, yeah. that was where the Russian Southern Command that basically handled all the Southern Command for Ukraine. And and the whole reason why um, Prozigan was doing all this is because there's you know there was video you could see i remember there was one a couple of weeks ago where he was just furious because you know he, a lot of his friends got killed a lot of guys that he knew guys that worked for him that he sent in the battle they all died and he was standing in front of this was like you know it was kind of dark out but you could see all the bodies behind there's like 40 dead wagner guys all behind him and he was yelling and screaming at the incompetence and the stupidity of uh was it shogu and uh um Valerie Gazmarov, the two top guys that are at the top of the Russian MOD, who also happen to be really close friends with Vladimir Putin. And even though they're totally incompetent, most of the you know people in the Russian army, they hate these guys, but they don't have a choice because they're, they're Putin's buddies. And so what he wanted to do, his original goal, this was just, you know, I was reading about this yesterday, was to capture these two guys. And he was even talking about hanging them in Red Square and shooting them dead because of all the all the people that got killed because he said they were the ones that basically started this war and lied Putin into believing that, yeah, three or four days we'll conquer the whole country. But, you know, then again, General Milley, our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was saying, oh, yeah, Kiev will fall in three days probably, which he was wrong. He's he's a fucking idiot. But um, so these guys are supposedly Vladimir Putin hopped on his private jet and flew to St. Petersburg along with the other elite and leaders that were there. Cause there was nobody to stop them. And supposedly what's coming out now, I don't know if it's true or not, but the, the FSB, the, which, which used to be the KGB is basically telling probes and hey, you know, the leader of Wagner, we're going to kill your family if you don't stop. And that, and then supposedly um, the one uh, Russian general that was used to was running the war effort for Russia until the beginning of this year. Um, I can't think of that guy's name right now. He's shaved head, bald. I guess he lost his nerve. And but the other thing that's really pissed Putin off about all this is that 
nobody really came to help him. Nobody really did anything to stop Wagner. And most other regular Russian troops, they didn't want to fire on the Wagner guys. They were just kind of, in other words, they were just standing on the sidelines. Who's going to win? Because, again, you got a mafia elite that are basically fighting each other for control. And the elite are, you know, it was pretty obvious that the majority of people in the Russian army and the citizens are were siding with the Wagner guys versus the way the war has been run by Putin and his, you know, two top lieutenants who are close friends of his. And so it's like competency doesn't matter, just loyalty. If, you know, there's a video of Putin. He says, what is the number one thing that's unforgivable? He says, betrayal. If you betray me and you look at, you know, some of his political enemies, the guys that he's, you know, given those radioactive isotopes to, that, you know, radiation poisoning, basically. Oh, yeah, I they mean, send a lot of poison in the It's mail. not just killing a guy. It's doing it in a very public way. It says, hey, don't fuck with me because you're not going to like what happens to you. Plus all the people that have fallen out of windows this past yeah. year, fallen out of hospital windows, fallen out of their building windows. It's like they just, you know, they'll send the FSB or whoever it is. And, you know, if they don't like what you said or did, they just throw your ass out the balcony to your death on the yeah. street below. They they don't care. And they do it very publicly and that's that's what happens. You never end. You will never end up with socialism, communism, Marxism. You will end up with a psychopathic mafia elite that is ruthless, and they will not care one ounce about killing you or fucking you up if you threaten their power. And so the Wagner guys, you got twenty five thousand troops, and a lot of these guys are Spetsnaz, or, you know, former uh, Russian special forces guys that have left the army and. Most of their best fighters and most competent battle-hardened units are in Wagner, and now because of what happened, they're you know now they're all under suspicion. Now they're like not trustworthy, and on top of that, supposedly the regular Russian military is going through purges, where if you weren't like publicly supporting Putin and you didn't do anything to stop the Wagnerites, it's it's kind of assumed that you were sympathetic to them. And so now you're going to have even more of their their top generals or top soldiers and people that didn't do enough, you know, in the eyes of the government to stop the Wagner guys from their, you know, the rebels, as, as Putin called them. And so now they're kind of purging their military. They're they're weakening themselves because of this. And so it's really interesting to look at that and see what happens. It's like because at some point. You know, it's like when you look at geographically the whole southern part of Ukraine, you got, was it the Dnipro River, I think, that goes right through Ukraine. And so you get the Ukrainians on one side and then the Russians are on the other. And what's interesting about the Russians is that all of their logistics, because you win or lose a war based on logistics. And the with when you look at how us in the West are, we use pallets, we use forklifts, everything. If you've ever seen how American weapons and food and sea rations and equipment is shipped, we use forklifts. And everything's palletized. It's very easy to move around. The Russians don't do that. They're still using the mentality, you know, of that was developed in 1940s, 50s, where everything is shipped by rail. So all the weapons, everything comes by rail. And it's they're mostly the most part they're in you know giant wooden boxes and they unload the train by hand, and then when the trucks drive up to you know disperse the weapons and stuff and equipment and see you know food rations and everything else, 
they they load everything by hand into the trucks and then drive it off. And there's only like five or six rail lines, I think it is, into the southern part of Ukraine that the Russians are able to supply everybody with. And then on top of that, you got Crimea, which has the Kerch Bridge, which has already got hit once. I think there was a a guy did a suicide bomb or something like that, drove a truck over it and blew oh, it up. And it, you know, it wrecked the, uh, you know, the, the train bridge and it also, you know, collapsed part of the the bridge that the civilians drive on. And so you have five or six rail lines in the southern Ukraine that, you know, there's a hundred something thousand Russian troops that depend on that. And so the way the Ukrainians are going, I mean, you know, they cut those rail lines. You're not getting your wounded out. You're not getting any more food. You're not getting any more bullets or bombs or anything that you need. And so whatever weapons and ammunition and artillery the individual units have, once that's gone, the Ukrainians will be like, you guys got nothing left. You either surrender or we're going to kill you. We know where you are. And those, you know, 155 millimeter um, rounds, the Excalibur rounds are GPS guided. And I've, I've seen some of the, you know, the Russian channels, the Russians talking about, you know, we've got these three foot wide trenches that we're hiding in. But the, and then, you know, so you can see from drones, you, we know, they know where the Ukrainians know where all the trenches are. They're about three feet wide. And they use these GPS guided rounds that got a range, at least like 18, 22 miles, I think is the maximum range. And so even though they're hiding in the in the trench because the their GPS guided shells they got little fins on them that just basically glide it and they don't miss. And so they're they're dropping the artillery right in the trenches and it's just decimating the Russians. And so there's like the uh the Antonovsky bridge which you know got bombed out but um that goes over the Dnipro river the Ukrainians have you know i was just reading i think they got a 150 or 200 troops on the russian shore they've got several tanks over there now but they've got really good electronic warfare equipment because the the russians that were on the other side there were trying to call in airstrikes on telegram because the cell towers still work but their radios to call for airstrikes or anything that they need they're all being jammed by whatever the electronic warfare equipment is that they're using. And so when they, and also they, they can't use the, the, was it the Landsat um, drones, which is like, um, it's got an armor uh, penetrating shell. It's like a kamikaze drone. That's been very effective against, you know, Russian and um, Western type of armor, but you know, it requires the signal because you, you know, you, if you ever seen, they got videos of this, the guys got their little virtual reality goggles on and they got the little hand things. And so they had a bunch of gamers flying these, these kamikaze yeah. drones and things into whether it's, it's like 16 year olds have like just insane kill counts. And yeah, exactly. Ratios. Exactly. There's, there's lots of video that you can watch of there's these like, dudes sitting in a stairwell in a bombed out building and, you know, flying his drone into a tank or something yeah. and hitting it and blowing you up. You see and, like the video that cuts to that guy. He's just like dancing. On yeah. The he's all excited. <laughs> yeah. He just, you know, took out a bunch of the enemy. It's like some geek that's really good at video games, but the electronic warfare is so good. You know, it's, you know, when the drone loses its signal, it's, it crashes to the ground and the the Landsat drones can't get anywhere near it because there's no signal to drive it, drive it into the tank or the troops or whatever. So they can see where they are 
but they can't get any air support in because the Russians' radios, they don't, the radios are being jammed and they don't work. And so the idea is they're, you know, they're building a bridgehead and building a foothold. Like if you look at like, you know, D-Day from World War II, when you look at like Omaha Beach, the idea was to get a foothold in there. We built a, a, a mulberry, which was basically a port. They had, there were two man-made ports uh, during World War II. The British had one and the Americans had one. And you can still see some of the caissons that are, you know, damaged that are still out in the ocean, you know, a couple hundred yards offshore that are slowly decaying and rotting that are still there all, you know, 80, whatever, how many years it's been since D-Day happened. And so they, you know, when the Americans got their foothold, they, you know, they floated these giant, they were basic rectangular boxes, floated them to location and then sunk them. And that's why the um, the defenses at Normandy and the other places where we came ashore weren't as heavily defended as like where their deep water ports were because the idea was like you need a deep water port to bring your ships in to unload all your armor and your material and your your troops on shore. The Germans never contemplated or figured out that our engineers would come up with a system where in that shallow water off you know Normandy and then where, I can't remember where the British. Um, area was, but they build this giant rectangle, a couple hundred yards offshore. They pull these things in place. They shrink them. They put a road on top of it, and the ships are able to pull right up to it and unload all all of their weapons and equipment. And you get enough men and enough material to get your your beachhead in there, and then you can start going inland and get behind their their lines. And like you get behind their lines, you know where they are. You can start nailing them with artillery. You can run up on on the back and jump in their trenches, and they're facing forward, especially now if all the Russians' communications are jammed. They don't even know that they're surrounded, and next thing they know, they got a bunch of Ukrainians, in essence, shooting them in the back and uh, or telling them to surrender, and there's plenty of video out there you can see where, where this has been done. But it, it's just interesting to watch all this stuff play out because I've been studying more and been fascinated by hope my whole life. My grandfather, he was in five invasions during World War II, and he was always telling us, war stories and I've always read about it and studied about it and you know learned about it and so stuff is fascinating to me what's happening it's fascinating what's going on in Russia right now because they are weakening their own armed forces because Putin's pretty paranoid and understandably after they basically had a mutiny and so they're literally getting rid of some of their best troops and on top of that some of their command best commanders and people in the Russian military are going to get purged just by suspicion because if it's viewed that they didn't do enough to stop the Wagner guys or just basically sat and let it happen, it's that's going to be good for the Ukrainians. Corey, how do you think this war ends, though? Yeah, that's one of the things my – I had a good friend of mine. We were at lunch talking about this today. But, I mean, Putin's on borrowed time. He's an old guy anyways. He's He's already three or four years past the average life expectancy of the average Russian male. And, uh, you know, the elites, they don't, if you watch any of the video of Putin when he's giving his speeches and he's got all the elites there, the looks on their faces, they're like, this is bullshit. You can tell they don't, they don't do not believe in, they're not buying what he's selling. Let's put it that way. So maybe somebody puts a, you know, takes Putin out, you know, but if you look at Russian history. I guess they what sue for peace after that then, or? Well, I mean, the Ukrainians are just like, just pack your shit and go home, and the war will be over. Yeah. 
And because we're not going to support them going into Russia and trying to take over Russia, obviously, or change the government, or whatever. But when it becomes apparent, and I think you know, especially with all the video and all the stuff that um, the leader of Wagner has been saying, and he's been brutally honest. You know, him standing in front of those corpses of forty of his men, some of them were his friends. He's pretty pissed off about it. He's like, our, you know, he says the MOD has been lying to everybody. He says our losses are three to four times what the numbers are that the Russian government has been putting out. And when you look at it that way, it lines up with exactly what the Ukrainians have said the Russians have lost as far as troops wounded, killed in action. And so, I mean, and he would know. Um, the Wagner guy would know what the actual losses are. And he was talking about, like, in essence, the whole war was a waste. And he was saying, it's like, we're not going to, we can't win against NATO. Because if you look, I mean, the Russians are pulling out old T-55 which is like a 19, 1940s tank because most of their newer stuff, their newer gear is, has been damaged or totally destroyed, whereas the Ukrainians are getting, you know, they're getting, they're not getting our, everything that's our best stuff. They're, they're getting stuff that's like three or four generations old, but it's still way far superior to anything that, that the Russians can feel. Some of the Russians are getting stuff from World War One. Some of the bolt action Yeah, rifles. some of the bolt-action rifles they were taking out because there weren't enough AK-47s to give guys as, as they were training and stuff like that. So I've seen some of those videos. I've seen video of some of the ammunition that they pull out, and it's all corroded and rusted. The you know the rifles that have been in storage, they weren't properly maintained. They're just all rusted, and and they're unusable. And so there was a lot of gear that it just you know was part of the old Soviet Union that, that was unusable. And, you know, so it's a slow war of attrition. The Ukrainians are getting stronger and they're getting far superior weapons. Whereas the other thing what was interesting about the war is the Russians took all of their top trainers and their most experienced people that normally when guys come in for boot camp, because they needed people, they sent their top trainers to the front lines and a lot of them got killed. So they lost, you know, so now as people come through and they're getting trained, they're getting trained by people with less experience and, you know, sometimes a, just a few days of training and they're thrown in the front lines where the Ukrainians are going to the UK and different places over Europe and getting trained by some of our, our best people. And so you, you got that issue. It's like um, the Russians have lost most of their best troops and Ukrainians, lo lo you know, it's not the same Ukrainian army that it was a, a year and a half ago when the war started because a lot of those guys have been killed, killed or wounded, but... But they I think a lot of them got a lot more training, though, too. And especially they, well, they got the Western trainers now. Yeah, I it's, think there's some Western troops there as well, too, that definitely help out. There are definitely Western <laughs> troops in Ukraine, unofficially acknowledged. I mean, they've acknowledged that we've got special forces there in Kiev watching some of the systems, but we're helping them with targeting satellite imagery. We've got, because um, again, all stuff is open source. Because they have their transponders yeah. on. We've got some of those, um, uh, what do you call them, the doomsday planes or the electronic warfare planes that are, you know, f we've got at least two of them there that I know of that are, you know, you can see the pattern <laughs> of, of their flight path and just kind of flying around in, in the Black Sea. And then obviously all of that information and data is being sent to the Ukrainians. So like when the Russians launch bombers at Ukraine that have the cruise missiles, we're sending that information to them so they know where their, you know, the cruise missiles and the attack is coming from so they can, you know, shoot those things out of the air. And um, like the Patriot 
uh, missile system has taken out their what is it? Not the caliber missile. I forget what's the uh, their their um, hypersonic missile. It's the the Patriot. It, you know, even though the thing's flying faster than the Patriot missile can go. It's just geometry. So if you're if this it doesn't matter how fast it's flying, if you know its speed and you know where it's going, then you just send the missile to where it's going to be, and you know they're, they're it's almost a hundred percent intercept rate, which is pretty amazing. That is actually fast for our weapons, that's, that's and I'm happy about that because it's like, uh, you know, I want us to have the best stuff. Weakness invites aggression, and you know when I look at things like the Bradley fighting vehicle I remember when that was in the 1980s I think it was originally made out of aluminum and some of our allies were like when this thing gets hit it like catches on fire and all that aluminum just starts burning and you know it'll incinerate the guys in in the um on the inside of it and so we spent way more money than was originally budgeted for that same thing with the M1A1 tank the Patriot the B2 stuff I mean pretty much every weapons platform we have we spend way more money than was budgeted for. Even like with the F-35 or the Osprey for that matter. You look at the Osprey and, you know, I don't know, about 10 years ago, the, the most experienced test pilot ended up getting killed. But they had enough crashes and, you know, they're learning from deaths that happened because of crashes that they were able to perfect the Osprey. Instead of killing the, the, the weapons program, they spent 10 times what they were supposed to and they eventually perfected it and i know a lot of money is wasted we spend more money on defense than all countries of the world combined and a lot of it's wasted but i would much rather i'm team team america and i want our guys to have the best weapons on the planet and the other thing that you know with the chinese have a lot of the same weapons and weapon systems that the russians have and you know they're obviously watching very closely what's what's happening with the war and i just one of the chinese diplomats the other day you know he was like hey if the ukrainians go back to the 1991 borders which is where they take crimea back and then the uh um what is it Don- donetsk Donetsk, 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 yeah. Donetsk, the, the, that whole oblast or whatever that the Russians took over back in you know ten year twenty fourteen I think it was. Um, they're going to probably take that back too. He was, you know, it's obvious they're realizing and recognizing that as long as the West keeps providing the weapons and the training and everything they need and plenty of ammunition, that the Chinese believe that the Russians are going to lose. It's pretty obvious, but. You know, when you listen to people on the right, you know, I love Tucker Carlson, but like when he talks about the Ukrainian war, he's absolutely wrong. And unfortunately, a lot of people on the right are consuming that Russian propaganda that's like, oh, the Ukrainians are losing. They're getting slaughtered. It's like they're losing a lot of people. But, you know, when you look at what's going on with this counteroffensive and you the video that you can see, it's it's just a matter of time at this point. And then from a, you know, a demoralization standpoint when you look at what the state of the Russian army is at this point and the fact that you had a mutiny with some of your most advanced fighters a matter of days ago and now you got purges going on but that is not good for the guys in the front line you know especially if you're on the front line you're hearing you know from the leader of Wagner that the losses are three four times what the MOD has been reporting that's not good for morale and, you know, it's 
that's the kind of thing that, I mean, you want to demoralize your enemy. You want them to give up mentally because they're much easier to defeat versus somebody that believes that, that they can win. And so I don't know how long it's going to take because there's, you know, I just saw a video today, the first, um, the first M1A1 Abrams tanks and the trainers for them, American trainers are, I saw a, a picture there in, I think it's Poland where they arrived, I think. And so they're going to start training the Ukrainians on that because we're turning over a bunch of M1 tanks, which is our, our best main battle tank. But again, it's three or four generations old. I also read that we were taken off the, the, the Chabam armor just because it's our most advanced armor. And we know they're going to lose some of those tanks, even with, with the armor on it. So the, the DOD decided that it'd be better to send the tanks over there. They got really good armor without the, you know, the Chabam Chab armor, the ceramic. It's like, I guess it's like ceramic plates and there's like a, um, like a depleted uranium netting in between the plates. So it, the ceramic absorbs the heat from the heat round and the depleted uranium, it's such a hard, dense metal, it keeps it from going through and, and penetrating the inside of the tank. But there are, there's, I'm sure there's weapon systems that probably could penetrate it, but the Department of Defense decided to take that armor off first. That's why they couldn't send the tanks right away when they decided it. And like the F-16s that we're sending them, they're like, you know, they're about 20, 25-year-old technology, which is good, but, you know, it's not better than Russia's most advanced fighters that they have. So, but who knows what'll end up, what they'll actually end up getting because you got what's publicly said and then you what, you know, what gets done behind the scenes. It's like the quicker this thing gets brought to a close, the quicker, you know, it's like, I remember when um, Colin Powell in 1991, when the first Gulf War started, he was talking about the Iraqis. He said, first, we're going to cut it off and then we're going to kill it. And so if the Ukrainians cut those rail lines and in, to southern Ukraine and take that territory, because the Russians have several thousand people that, that know how to fix um, bridges and, and train tracks and stuff like that, because war, that shit's going to get blown up. But if the Ukrainians take back that territory where all those trains run through there, then there ain't, it doesn't matter. They're, <laughs> they're not getting any more supplies, and they take out the Kerch Bridge, because now they got the Storm Shadow um, missiles and one of them hit um one of the bridges last week and put a big hole in i can't remember what the name of that where that that bridge was but they take out the kirch bridge they cut those five or six rail lines and 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 control that territory then you could just slowly sit there and a trip away at the russians and hit them at at your leisure and totally cut them off and you could see tens of thousands of russians mass surrendering or getting mass slaughtered so how long it's going to take i don't know somebody could take out putin and just say we're leaving which i don't think that'll happen but it might i don't know it's i mean it's who knows what's going to happen the way it looked last week when wagner was going it looked like they were going to take moscow and he wasn't saying anything bad about putin he just said he's mistaken and that these guys have been lying to him and he wanted to arrest these you know two putin's two good friends um, Shogu and Gazmarov, I'm sure I'm probably butchering their names or whatever, but like I said, he stopped right outside um, Moscow, but it looked like he was going to go all the way, and th 
the Russians, because everybody's deployed in Ukraine. The whole Russian military basically is deployed, or most of it, I should say, is deployed in Ukraine. So they had nobody protecting Moscow. They went like something like 800 kilometers in a day. Yeah, that's crazy. And so you, you had the flatbeds, the um, you know, kind of like what we call the the low boys over here. If you ever seen like a, um, a you know, a, a truck that ha- you know it, it pulls like front end loaders and construction equipment, the part that connects to the truck disconnects, and it's you know, and then it lays in the ground, and then you can just drive the thing off. So they were they have have those um, trailers that had the tanks on it, and the guys were sitting in the tanks, the drivers, and if they had to stop and disembark, they could do it pretty quickly you know especially if they got attacked but now i'm also reading that the wagner guys are turning over all their heavy weapons to the to the russian military supposedly and the arrangements are being made to do that but it it's a matter of time and so it's the possible mc wagner's just out of the war then yeah well they've been out of the war for about five six weeks because he's been um prosikin he's been Prozikin, I don't know how it's, I'm probably butchering his name too, but Progs, Progs, as you know, his nickname as people call him sometimes. For months, for like really about the last two months, he's been talking shit and he's been, because, you know, I guess Putin wouldn't take his calls, wouldn't talk to him anymore because he had been kind of isolated, even though they used to be close and were good friends. And Putin was, I guess, the one that got him started. Um, He's been talking so much shit and saying a lot of unpleasant, inconvenient truths that, you know, they really wanted to isolate him. And because what really started this, you know, the the unraveling of Wagner, if you will, was uh, Shogu basically said that all Wagner people have to sign a contract with the Ministry of Defense, I think by like July 1st or something like that. So they'll basically be, be in the Russian army. And he was like, hey, I want to keep this whole thing intact. That's what he thought he was originally going to be able to do. Um, but I think, you know, the regular Russian army, they don't trust the Wagnerites right now. And there's evidence that some of them have been killed. There was uh, some of the um, Chechen guys supposedly were, they just sawed off the head of uh, supposedly a Wagner guy. I don't know if he was Wagner or not. But they were saying he was a traitor and they basically beheaded him because they're, they're all Muslim. The uh, Chechen guys are, are Muslim. And um, so there, I, I was just reading, was it was yesterday, I started seeing reports that, you know, the Russian army is now being purged of generals and anybody basically that didn't support or that supported Wagner or just did nothing or, or what was viewed as not doing enough. So it could unravel really quick. Or because, you know, I think that the M1A1 tanks aren't supposed to be turned over to the Ukrainians, they say, towards the end of the year. Maybe it'll happen sooner, but it's hard to tell. It's like I did not I, – I didn't expect to see a column of Wagner guys headed to Moscow to, yeah. you know, take out basically the top two guys in the Russian Ministry of Defense. I didn't expect that. And I also didn't expect once he was doing it for him to turn around and go, okay, I'm out. I didn't expect for him to get parted as well, too. That kind of threw me off. Well, he the one thing that Putin says is, you know, he'll bide his time. And when the time is right, he'll probably try to assassinate his former cook. Yeah. His former chef. Yes, he has a funny story. I mean, he started out, he went, he went to like prison, opened up a hot dog stand. Then became the chef for Putin, and then he has his own private military. Military. So I think a documentary on that would be amazing to see. 
Yeah, I, th- I'm, I assume he's got to be a billionaire by now. Yeah. You know, even Putin was on TV there. He's like, we basically created Wagner. We're the one who gave him all the government contracts and stuff like that. And the reason a lot of um, guys that used to be in the Russian army, you know, the Spetsnaz guys, Special Forces guys, left and joined Wagner, obviously the pay was way better. The work, the conditions were way better. And they may, had more freedom yeah. to improvise on the front lines and do things that were save their lives, whereas, you know, the old Soviet type of army... Like when, um, you know, I read an article probably six, eight months ago from General Mark Hurtling, who in the 90s, after the wall came down, he worked with some of his counterparts in the Russian Ministry of Defense. And they had kind of like an exchange program. We're like, hey, we'll send some of our NCOs and our officers over and we'll teach you some of our military culture so, you know, you can improve the quality of your army and your organization. It was it was a political thing. It was, you know, trying to, cause at the time we thought, Hey, we won the cold war. So, you know, communism has been defeated. And so, you know, they're embracing democratic reforms. And so we were in those early days, Mark Hurtling especially was, um, was working with them. And he, you know, what he talked about in this article was after a, a few months, it's like, these Russian generals would come in and give lip service and rah-rah speech, but they didn't really give a fuck. They were corrupt. You know, they, they didn't really incorporate anything that the Americans had spent their time trying, trying to train them just because the bureaucracy was so corrupt and so ass-backwards and they had always done things that way. They just they didn't care. And so when the war, you know, the war started, it's like all of those problems in the russian military be you know became very obvious kind of like that old like the quote with the russians is like oh we'll pretend to work and they'll pretend to pay us yeah like there's a there's a famous video that um last year it was a ukrainian guy um a ukrainian soldier on the front lines and the russians were doing stupid and they were something stupid and they were their people were getting killed left and right and he he said something along the lines of like it's so good that they're, the Russians are so fucking stupid because, you know, it's like doing the the charges uh, of that were similar to, to what the um, Russians did during World War II when they're charging Nazi lines yeah. and they're giving black broomstick handles to people that didn't have guns just so they could absorb some bullets. And, you know, the more people that use mass charging a line, some of them are going to get through eventually. And they were doing the same thing in, in Bakhmut. The people were just used as cannon fodder. And uh, that's one of the things that Prozen, he talked about and has been talking about for months. And I don't see the Russian bureaucracy getting fixed. It's like competency is not getting, you know, under normal circumstances, when you look at happened like during the Civil War, uh, where Lincoln fired, uh, what was it, McClellan? Was that who? He- yes. And then put uh, General Grant in because McClellan was a little too timid and, you know, risk averse. And uh, so he was incompetent and the president kicked his ass out and put somebody competently. Same thing happened during World War II. There were a lot of generals and people that were in positions of power and they sucked. They got a lot of people killed. Boom, they got fired. And somebody competently was put in place. You look at like the Iraq war when things were going real bad in 2007, 2008. That's when General Petraeus and General Ray Odierno got appointed to take over um, operate Ray Odierno. He just died. It was last year or the year before. 
But um, they were the guys that turned the war around because they had done a good job in their area of operations. And so they got promoted. Competency got rewarded. Whereas the two top guys in the, in the Russian army, two of the guys that were chirping in Putin's ear saying, oh, yeah, we can take Kiev in a couple of days, three, day, three four days max. And because after, you know, they retreated from Kiev, uh, Putin imprisoned a lot of the people in the FSB and people that had lied their asses off to him. But, you know, the two guys at the top are totally incompetent. Mo- you know, supposedly the majority of, of guys in the Russian army know this. But because they're loyal to Putin and they're his friends, you get loyalty over competency. And so if you're going to keep two incompetent generals in charge, Savorkin, that was the other guy. Uh, Savorkin is the um, the other general that was friendly to uh, Prozig. He was a guy I was you know talking about. He's I guess ran, runs the uh, the air power, the air force for them. Um, and so there's like suspicions on him that he didn't do enough to stop the Wagner guys, but he's, he was close to the Wagner, the Wagner leader, their friends. And he wanted him to be the guy that would be put back in charge and run the war. But it's obvious that Shogu and, uh, Gazmarov or whatever, they're not going anywhere. It looks like, and that was the whole reason why he was, you know, the Wagner guy was saying that they wanted to take over to get these guys out so they could fight the war like it needs to be. And it just seems like it was all for naught. You know, they lost, was it 18, I think it was 18 Russian airmen died. You know, the, the, was it seven helicopters and And one electronic warfare plane that got shot down? Well, as my, uh, my good friend and I were, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody really does. It's like everything that has been told to us or that was expected of what was going to happen in this war was like, it seems like the opposite has happened. And I can't remember who said it, but they said, may you live in interesting times. And these are definitely interesting times. So I'm, I'm just hopeful that, you know, sooner rather than later, the Ukrainians break, you know, they're already breaking through in several places. Cause like what you do, is you know they're attacking the Russians all up and down the front because when you do that you get a reaction. When you go into a certain area and you start overrunning positions, then what typically is going to happen is the reserve forces in the rear are going to get called to come to the front and shore up where you know the bridgeheads are coming through. But the Russians don't really have any reserves at this yeah. point. And I think what I've been reading is right now only about twenty percent of the offensive um, combat power of the Ukrainians has been employed in the counteroffensive. And cause there's not been a, any, any video or pictures of any of the striker um, vehicles that we've given to the Ukrainians on the front lines or any of them being blown up or anything like that. And um, so 80% of their combat power and a lot of the Western weapons are not there. And so what they do is they do probing attacks to get them to move their reserves around because they're looking for the weakest spot in the line because the idea is that you want to break through, get behind their lines, and then you can operate in the rear and, you know, use dump artillery down on these guys, especially if you've got electronic warfare and the Russians don't even know that they've been surrounded or you're behind them. Then, you know, with those Excalibur 155 rounds plus with the, the HIMAR yeah. um, missiles, you can just sit there and pick them off at your leisure with with hardly any risk to your own guys, especially if they can't call air support because their mics don't work. 
They can't attack you with any of those Landsat drones because the electronic warfare prohibits yeah. the operator from being able to talk to it and send signals. To and fly you cut it off in. the resupply, then they're just toast. Yeah. Then it's just, like, just waiting out. waiting until they run out of and what i've read i don't know if it's true or not but you know the russians typically have three to four days worth of of ammunition on hand with their individual units and so the other thing is when you're you penetrate their lines you can bring your artillery in closer because the um there was the m77 the howitzers that we've given them i think those rounds have a their range is like 18 22 miles i think um, but like the HIMARS missile, the basic HIMARS rocket will go, um, and some of those are fucking nasty. They have like, uh, one of the versions of the HIMARS rocket, you know, those, those things will fly depending on which version is a hundred miles to, I think up to 180 miles is like the one that will go the furthest. Um, I may be mistaken, but I know it's like their normal range is about 80 to hundred miles. Uh, it's longer than what is, is publicly acknowledged. But the, these HIMAR rockets have a warhead in the front, and they also, they're filled with like little tungsten pellets, which is a very dense metal. And so what happens is, they'll, you know, if they've got like a, a Russian Panzer, um, like an air defense system, or a tank, or, or trucks, because I've seen the aftermath of these um, weapons when they're used. And so I say you got to, you got a, you know, something here you're trying to take out. The missile comes right above it, explodes above it, and rains down all these tungsten pellets. I mean, it goes through everything. There was a video of a, of a Russian guy, and this is when Elena was here. You know, a few months ago, my, our friend that is from Russia, and I was having her translate. And the guy was like, fuck, 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 you know, as he's filming this. And there were, there were like little um, half-inch, like, slits cut and everything even the frame the engine block the armor i mean it just you know so it doesn't like blow the you know the equipment up but it just it makes swiss cheese of it with these tungsten pellets so like everything is wrecked right even down to the frame you know these little tungsten pellets go like they go through everything and so it, it totally ruins a piece of equipment. And if there's any, you know, the operators or the guys that run this system around it, they're all going to be, yeah, the you know, toast. they're dead as yeah. well. So it's, you know, an incredibly effective weapons platform. And like I said, they get behind their lines. And like I said, some of those HIMARS, and then they're trying to get the, uh, what is the AT, ACMS, the, the missile, those will go, I think it's close to 300 miles. And that's the Army Tactical Conventional Missile or something like that. Um, they can use those in the HIMARS launchers. They're much bigger. They're much fatter. And there's a video on YouTube you can see about these things. There's, there's one that's really neat. It has a warhead in the front and all up and down the body. It has panels that'll pop off. And so you can see this missile as it's coming down in flight. This was from the test range. And it's coming down and the fins on the bottom you know, or the top, you know, the, where the rocket motor is, will turn this way. And so the thing spins like this. And when it spins perfectly, you know, you know, it doesn't wobble or anything. The panels come off and a bunch of like fragmentary type of anti-personnel, like little, basically little grenades, little bomblets. So, you know, when it gets way up here, if it's going to attack something, it spins, throws all of like the little mini grenades basically all over the ground. And then the main missile continues on and hits whatever target it was supposed to hit. 
So you, you take out whatever you're trying to take out with the warhead and the missile, and all the little bomblets land all around it and will wreck or just, you know, and kill yeah. anybody that's around it. trying to run it. away from the target. Yeah, you, you take out the missile system and you take out all the people that operate it. Yeah. It's pretty pretty nasty. And That is a nasty, they wanna, nasty yeah, they, machine. They want to use those on maybe the Kerch Bridge or um, maybe like some of the... Because the, once we gave them the HIMARS, the Russians had to move their weapon stockpiles out of range of the HIMARS. Um, but like I said, with a storm shadow missile that, that is launched cruise missile, which is launched from some of the, um, the fighters the Ukrainians have they they've adopt, you know, the, the pod that holds it has been modified so it will work. Cause these are originally Russian planes, Russian designed planes. And so we've sent our guys and our techs, you know, we've given them the harm, um, missile, which is a, a, a missile that'll lock in on enemy air defense and radar and just home in on the signal and destroy it. So we've given them those, and you know they've got the storm shadow, and I think they carry about two, two one on each wing, if I'm not mistaken. And so they've, the the pylons that hold these weapons have been modified to do that and work with Ukrainian planes that they have. Yeah. And so it's like a fire and forget type of weapon, and the the radar signatures like rain droplets. That's how big it is. And so I saw a video of a, a Russian guy had filmed, you know, the storm shadow coming in. And the, the system saw it, but the signature was low and it was so fast that by the time the guy realized what it was, it was the missile was already gone. And plus it flies low to the ground instead of like high up in the air. Yeah, it so kind of hugs the, the terrain. Yeah. So it's like I, I – there, and then, the, you know, the, what's interesting, I also saw a picture the other day of a – I think it was a Chinese 120 millimeter um, shell. So it's obvious that the Chinese have been selling some of their munitions to Russia, but I don't think a lot. Um, just because if you listen to some of the Chinese people and, and talking, especially the one yesterday was like talking about Ukraine going back to the 1991 borders and they're cool with it. It's obvious the Chinese also know the Russians are going to lose and they are losing. And same thing with the, the head of Wagner is like, he knows they're they're going to lose. They're, yeah. they, they, it's just a matter of time at this point.